Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where in this special episode, we're bringing together freelancers to discuss the gaming industry. I'm Saul, and I help businesses connect with top freelance talent, and today I'm joined by some special guests, which are some freelance game developers in Yusuf Gabro, Shime Tadic, and Roy Toynison, to discuss must-have tools and features in Unity development. We hope you enjoy the episode. So I'll hand it over to you guys one at a time to, to get some intros out of the way. So Roy, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Uh, so I'm uh, Roy Tönnissen. That's how you pronounce that. Good luck trying to pronounce it yourself. Uh, I'm a solo developer. I'm uh, working on my first indie game, and I'm uh, supporting myself uh, by doing some uh, freelance work. That's how I got in touch with uh, Evolution. And uh, I really like making tools, uh, and uh, there's plenty of things that Unity doesn't do well out of the box. Uh, so you know all about the, the packages that exist to make that life easier. And I uh, made a few of those uh, packages myself. Uh, that made me think that it was a good idea to join the chat and uh, start talking about some of those cool packages that exist. Cheers, Roy. And uh, over to you, Shime. Yep. Hello, uh, everybody. My name is Shime Tadek. Uh, I'm from Macedonia. Uh, mainly, I specialize in the uh, Unity side uh, and programming as well. Uh, I love the nature of creating mobile games as well as PC games, but most of my career I spent creating mobile games. Uh, therefore, I'm with Evolution because uh, the thing is, uh, I love to work remotely and Evolution is giving me that. So that's why. Yeah, that's that's me. Beautiful. Thank you, Shemit. And uh, over to you, uh, Joseph. Hey, guys. Joseph is my name. Uh, people call me Juice. And I'm also, I have a pretty much the same background as Roy. I am creating my own indie game. Uh, I'm a solo dev. Actually, uh, my company, we are two people. So we're working on uh, our first real big uh, game, which we actually chose to not do in Unity uh, because of various banana stuff going on. <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, But we have been doing a lot of Unity, uh, Unity things in the past. And the, the previous game that we had was released in Unity. Um, so yeah, long story short, I love gameplay. I uh, love all kinds of things that are related to AI. And that's also one of the things that I would pick up uh, and talk about during this podcast. Amazing. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So uh, here we are, uh, round the table to discuss this today. Um, so we're going to do a bit of an overview before we jump into some more detailed topics. Um, so guys, let's have a bit of chat about uh, why it's important to look for great packages, features, and tools for within Unity. Uh, Unity is a great engine. It's got a lot of great features. When you're making a game with it, you will stumble across issues and things that are missing. So where are these packages and uh, what are the features and tools that make them worth finding? I think uh, I speak for all Unity developers when I say that uh, it's a great engine and has many great features, uh, but every game uh, that you're working on is so unique. It has its own needs. And uh, always, always you'll find yourself uh, needing features that don't exist in the engine. 
so most uh, systems that have accessibility uh, tend to require some kind of wrapper or something around it or on top of it to extend it. Or in some cases, there is nothing close to what you need and you need some completely new uh, system from scratch. Um, uh, I think the Asset Store is a great resource for uh, for uh, plugins like that, uh, especially paid ones. Uh, that's where all the best ones are. Uh, Gumroad, I think, is a relatively newer one. Uh, that's not specific to Unity, but it's for just cool stuff that people make that they want to sell. Um, and uh, my personal favorite, uh, just look on GitHub uh, for stuff, because all of that stuff is free. My stuff that's free. Yeah. Uh, I want to I mention another one. Uh, there is this packet manager, which is open. Uh, I think it's called OpenUT Packet Manager, uh, which also lists all those uh, resources that you were talking about, uh, the GitHub ones. And it does this in a really cool way. Uh, so there are all kinds of packages there uh, in terms of code, in terms of frameworks, in terms of, uh, well, you name it, anything that goes into Unity. Um, and I completely agree with you. Anytime you have a package that you want to use, the problem most of the time is stitching things together so that they work together. Um, yeah, so many times you just add a bunch of uh, small snippets just to make sure that everything works. Yeah, that, that's right. I couldn't agree more with uh, with Roy and Joseph. Uh, but the main thing that also developers need to point out when, when choosing a package is to see if that package is maintainable so they can use it in longer term. Otherwise, many, many packages right now that I have been using before, uh, they are deprecated for some reason. You know, uh, developers are not maintaining those packages. So keep eye on those stuff. Like, make sure that the package is maintainable by the developer. And yeah. Or at the very least, that the source code is good enough that you could step in yourself and expand it. If you exactly. Need. Exactly. But uh, sadly, uh, I think you're right that uh, a lot of packages, uh, especially older ones, are a bit fire and forget. Like, all right, uh, it's one of its course. I'm going to work with somebody else now. Uh, yeah. It yeah there are like more uh, more Unity versions and uh, new features are coming, new API and some of the API that those those packages have is deprecated and developers are not keep eye on it. So the package itself will deprecate as well. Yeah, it happens. Arguably, it happens with Unity features as well. Can forget yes. about it. Yes. Yeah. Just talking about that today, colleague. Unity nice. rigging system. That one. Uh, maybe it's a perfect example of uh, why uh, why packages are so important. You were using the built-in uh, rigging system from uh, Unity, um, and, uh, and it was very finicky. We were trying to do uh, IK in Rust kinematics on the character's leg, and uh, kept noticing that it's uh, freaking out and uh, being bent the wrong way and stuff. Uh, and uh, part of the problem is that they made that system, and we kind of are leaving it to rot now. Like, like they're not actively updating it uh, anymore. And, Arguably, it was never fully finished to begin with. Uh, so it's getting us very far. Like we've been using it for prototyping; it's been great. But we're getting to the point soon, I think, where we might be outgrowing it. We might want to replace it with a more robust implementation. I happen to know there's a, a good paid version on the S store, like Final IK, is what it's called. Uh, that's really robust because you know somebody was paid to, uh, or is being paid to uh, make a really good version out of it. You know, so that's something. I can that's test that one. I just want to test it out. The final key is really good. Shout out to to the guy who wrote that. Good job. <laughs> Extra yeah. shout out. It wasn't even on the list of. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> bonus content. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, well, uh, shall we uh, jump into some of the uh, well, the problems and solutions that we've uh, discussed previously that we wanted to discuss a little bit further today? So um, yeah, we had a chat a couple of days ago, uh, the group of us, and uh, we picked out some key problems that are currently going on with Unity Engine and uh, what potentially might be some of those solutions and how do we meet them? Um, so, Roy, let's uh, start off with yours. Uh, so a problem that um, you chucked out there for us to speak about today is um, it being difficult to reference specific currencies. Uh, do you want to give us a, a bit of an elaboration and uh, some of your own thoughts on that, please? Yeah, we'll do. Um, so very often uh, you want to have uh, settings by a scriptable object. Um, uh, that's the easiest way to expose something to designer so you don't have to go into the prefab. And, uh, you can have uh, things all in one place in a very convenient way. Uh, so very normal situation you might have is that uh, uh, we work on a mobile game. It has several different uh, types of currencies, like uh, let's say uh, soft currency, hard currency, bonus currency. Uh, so all of those are scriptable objects, um, and uh, those have all the settings, like maybe the name, a localization key, an icon, a color, stuff like that. Um, and then in Go, do you want to uh, uh, check, um, you know, a uh, a type of uh, currency is uh, returned from a function? They want to see. Is it the, the hard currency uh, or is it soft currency? Well, how would you do that? You, uh, stock, you would have to uh, either put some kind of email in the scriptable object so we can test that, or you might ne maybe need a reference to the scriptable object so we can use those to compare uh, what you're getting back. That's kind of annoying. Uh, and uh, there's a great package out there that kind of helps solve that sort of thing, uh, where you have a situation where you have a collection of uh, scriptable objects. And it's called Scriptable Object Collection. So very straightforward, uh, what I like that about it. Uh, so it's a way that you can say, this is a collection of scriptable objects that logically belong together. So you get a nice uh, dashboard where you can edit them all at once. So you can tweak the names of you know soft, uh, hard, and bonus currency all in one place. Uh, what I think by far the best feature that it has is that uh, there's a button that lets you uh, generate some code. And uh, um, that code lets you access these uh, uh, all these values from this collection uh, almost like it's an enum so then in code uh, you can uh, return a value you could return uh, currency type dot soft or currency type dot hard and it's very easy to compare so you can uh, compare a value that you get uh, back with uh, currency type dot hard you know stuff like that uh, so it improves syntax uh, uh, greatly and uh, any uh, project that has a bunch of scripts of objects uh, uh, it can highly recommend uh, giving it a try. It's free and it's on GitHub. So, script of object collection. Give it a go. Nice. Uh, Shimmy, uh, Joseph, anything to kind of add on to that? No, not really. But, I, but I'm, I'm really interested to just get, get my grip out of the, on that. Uh, it sounds really good. It sounds really awesome to just simplify things and make things really. Yeah. I do love script of objects. Uh, anyone who uses Unity should make use of script of objects as much as possible. But uh, like you said, they can be they they can become out of hand. Uh, the the number of the sheer number of script of objects that you would have and the comparisons can just lead to bugs. Um, so sounds really cool. But they are also great, like uh, also technical wise and designer wise. Uh, when you're working closely with designers, you want to expose some of the values, some of the things that. Uh, they will not bother you uh, tomorrow, let's say, for something they need to change, right? So they will go to the scriptable object and they will change it by themselves and test it on. 
in real time without uh, bothering the developers. <laughs> that's also a cool thing to have in mind. That's what I'm using as well. Like uh, when working closely with designers, it's great to use scriptable objects so you can expose things to them uh, and easy test uh, different values, settings, etc. For the game. Yeah, I just want to add to that. Uh, I, I love AI. I love uh, AI kind of play, gameplay that is related to AI and stuff. Uh, and I, I used scriptable objects quite a lot and extensively uh, for AI previously. So in terms of uh, not only configurations and stuff, but actually state machines based on uh, the scriptable objects, really flexible, especially if you have game designers that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah you mentioned a point there, Joseph, about... Um with it being hard to maintain the kind of further you go with it so tell us a little bit more about your experiences uh, with that and uh, any potential ways that you can I suppose manage it or risk assess that with the script logics you mean yeah um, ai in general as well yeah no, well ai i can go a dive way deeper into there uh, in terms of script logics what i've done previously is just basically have a good uh, good structure right so they are basically structure structure so as soon as you have a good plan uh, in terms of script objects you could just do whatever you want uh, whatever you want without the actual uh issues of how how they relate to each other uh does that make sense i feel like that was weird uh but let's dive deep, deeper into the ai part uh, so one of the problems that i find in general not really just in in unity but in general when you work with ai is that ai is basically rigid right you have a you have a fixed set of instructions that you say that hey this is the npc this is what this, the npc is supposed to do uh, these are the enemies these are what they can do within the game and then that is basically it uh, and as long as that is true ai could be really easy, impl easily implemented with a state machine or a, a behavior tree. Uh, now, one thing that I don't really like with Unity was that they don't, they didn't have a out of the box solution for that. Uh, I know other engines like Unreal Engine had uh, behavior trees, uh, but you can implement your own state machines really easily, so it's not really an issue. Um, but when it comes to the uh, when it comes to scaling AI and say that hey, now we have a new set of characters, uh, say that you have melee kind of an enemy and then you have ranged enemy then all of a sudden you have an armored one which has a different kind of behavior all of a sudden going back to the state machine or the behavior tree can become really cumbersome uh, and i want to flag for i, I want to pull my put my what is it called uh, add my experience in terms of a different kind of technique which is called goap gope uh, goal-oriented action planning, which basically is a state machine. It has all the features on the state machine, but it decouples the states from each other. So you say that, hey, this is the ability that, that my uh, AI has. It can run, it can pick up ammo, it can take cover, it can attack, etc. Uh, and you structure in such a way that you say, this is the input. In order for me to be able to uh, have that action being performed i need to know what the input is which is uh say that we are doing an fps kind of a game which i was doing at the time uh can i shoot with uh, do i have enough ammo if not then is there any ammo close by uh, so those kinds of questions the ai just needs one or two states uh, i mean variables to keep track of um, and then all of a sudden, it just couples the different states together in order to fulfill a goal. So my goal as an enemy is to shoot the player and just lower the health, right? Um, 
And in order to do that, I can shoot. But in order to be able to shoot, I need to have ammo. In order to be have, uh, in order to be able to have ammo, I need to have a gun, etc., etc., etc. So the AI itself just creates a game plan uh, with a bunch of different states itself, rather than you as a designer say that from attack state you can go into cover state, you can go into uh, reload state, etc. So that is one of the things that I really want to just give a shout out to because it makes life so much easier as a AI programmer, as a gameplay programmer. The problem is, of course, that you don't really have control over which path does the AI actually take, right? So for instance, um, you can you can shoot with a gun, but you can also go and hit it hit the enemy with a baseball bat, right? Both of them do lower the the HP of the player. And therefore, you as a designer can't really say which one is better or worse, unless you add a cost to that uh, to that node. Uh, long story short, GOPE, goal-oriented action planning. Uh, you you decouple all the states fr- uh, from each other by actions, and it is really easily implemented. And there are some Unity packages, open source for that matter, uh, that implement these. Any particular ones that you want to give a shout out to? Um, I would say yes, but I can't say <laughs> because I, I implemented my own. Uh, it is really easy to make. You, you just have this the scriptable objects that you were talking about previously, and you say, hey, this is the input, this is the output, and then you just add a star algorithm uh, for for those states, uh, basically for those. So it's really really easy. It's really fast. Uh, in order to, uh, since it's, it's an A star algorithm, you always have the best, the the best path forward. Um, and I guess there are way more packages that I can uh, count with the with that in mind. I'm really sorry, people. Uh, yeah. Just look for GOP, G O A P, best kind <laughs> of. That's like a cool pattern. I want to read up on that more. It must sound better. I like it. I like the yeah. sound of it. Before, before it was. I was... Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, before before when I was creating AI stuff like that, uh, I was using like behavioral trees and the state machine. I didn't know about this, but I will give it a try, as you say. Yeah, behavior <laughs> trees and state machines are the uh, basic ones. Uh, yeah. Of course, they are okay. They are they are good enough. But as soon as you play for do something for scale or do anything that you didn't really plan for, uh, and go back into the behavior trees or uh, the state machines, then it becomes cumbersome. It's not impossible. It's not. Uh, it's just cumbersome. Gope is way more scalable. Great. Nice educational. I like it. Shimmy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's throw it over to uh, one of your topics now. Um, so when we had a conversation the other day, you, you mentioned about uh, wanting to raise events and test them easily without doing stuff manually. Um, so do you want to dive a little bit deeper onto, onto that topic for us? Yes, exactly. So that's everything connected as well to scriptable objects. Uh, one thing that uh, that is uh, is on Assistor, it's uh, scriptable object architecture. It follows the plan of observable pattern uh, where everything is uh, mainly inside Unity Editor. Uh, you create a scriptable object. Do you want to raise uh, empty event? Do you want to raise string event? Do you want to uh, to, uh, to raise boolean int, etc.? Uh, everything is generic. You can do that. Even game objects, uh, uh, default objects, etc. Whatever you want, you can raise. Uh, and it's very good uh, for the stability of uh, gameplay. Let's say you want to test your life system. You want to test your coins system that you have inside your game and see if uh, your events are working as well. 
this is not only for testing, but as well for uh, uh, implementation of uh, your presenter and your view. Basically, you can send events from your presenter or your model to the view to the UI and show that. But also, it is good for uh, Inside Unity Editor to test uh, this kind of stuff. So I, uh, I I should definitely recommend this one. But there is some cons because uh, you you go in a mess with all of these uh, events and uh, scriptable objects inside your project. So you need to make sure that uh, you structure it well without messing up later on, because you are going to have a lot of events, a lot of scriptable object events inside the project. So that's a call for this uh, package. Yeah. Uh, right. Joseph, uh, anything to add on to Shimmy's points there? Um, my friends and my... Uh... Uh, I have this uh, running gag that we have this crusade, crusade against uh, scriptable object uh, architecture. It's only because we've seen a use that few projects where, I think you might say yourself, though, you know, where it can kind of grow out of control and uh, it runs rampant. And uh, because of that, we're like, oh, I really don't want to use it. But uh, uh, I have also the projects that use it uh, that have very effectively. I think it's a matter of, um, yeah, like you say, structuring it well, uh, being a critical thinker and uh, just being a good engineer about this. Uh, using it uh, responsibly. Um, yeah, uh, and I can imagine that uh, maybe even in combination with the scriptable object collection, uh, uh, it can uh, work very well if uh, you're using tools to help manage the amount of uh, scriptable objects that you, uh, you have. Uh, I'm definitely finding myself uh, uh, leaning towards uh, making events more generally accessible as well in the project I'm currently working on. I didn't get to the point where it's so granular that every event is a scriptable object, but uh, it's definitely trending that way. Really, uh, easily accessible events for lots of different things. So I think it's a good suggestion. It's 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 really it's really good uh, when it comes to prototyping. Let's say if you want to do fast prototyping and see how it will uh, navigate itself. But uh, it's not recommended for big projects because uh, it will run out of uh, messy project. <laughs> That's exactly what it is, yeah. Uh, if you work on really big projects, it can get out. Yeah, sounds like a... We're working with these tools a lot. It's like um, a lot of maintaining and, and keeping under control. You know, you're uh, it's like being a, a zookeeper looking after a, a wild beast. Yeah. Would you agree? <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, but you, you grow out of uh, solutions, right? So it's like uh, you know the project changes over time, and uh, your needs change. And patterns that were uh, mm. fantastic uh, in the prototyping phase, maybe a junk production, uh, you can grow out of them. So, mm. It's not uh, scaling as well as you would like to manage. It's, you know, being a good engineer is about adapting to those uh, shifting uh, requirements. So it's, uh, it's part of the job, just how it goes. Nice. Uh, well, before we move on to the next talking point, Joseph, uh, there was a question for you, actually, in the chat uh, proposed by Nick. Thank you for the question, Nick. Um, he said, what's your take on Unity, uh, Utility AI sorry, versus GOP? Utility AI versus GOP. Um, so I'm guessing the the uh, utility AI is what is meaning uh, there's specific kinds of techniques that you can look into when doing AI, uh, and that is basically a value for you're giving a cost for something, and then it uh, gives the best solution based on uh, that utility. That's where the, the name is coming from um, versus Gope. So utility AI is more of a short term kind of a thing i would say uh, so it gives you the best solution for that thing right now whereas gope is more of a long-term action plan uh, 
uh, deal. So you're you're setting, you're giving the AI here are all the actions. Please give me the best solution for that with minimum uh, loss in whatever. You can do the same thing with the utility AI, but the problem is uh, things shift, right? So I, as a player, move from one place to another into into uh, into cover, for instance. Uh, and the utility AI just basically looks at the state right now. Uh, what's the best solution that I have right now versus Gope is more of a long-term kind of a deal. Um, that would be my my take on the question itself. Uh, Gope itself is a utility-based kind of an approach where you give costs to different nodes. Uh, for instance, if you have an energy system for a, uh, say you have a, an AI that needs to move from point A to point B, and they have a card that you can uh, pick up along the way. That's one of the actions that you can take. Uh, the problem is you need to buy gas for that, and, and it, you need to get to uh, your point. That itself is a cost that's also a utility. Um, so it does weigh things put, uh, against each other. So they go hand in hand, I would say. But I think the biggest difference is the uh, long-term versus short-term uh, decision-making. Nice. So not necessarily one or the other. Both have their value in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. Thank you for the question there, Nick, as well. If anyone else has got any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. Uh, we will have a section towards the end of the stream uh, where we'll uh, throw some questions at the guys and uh, maybe quick fire it if we get enough. Uh, but we will move on to uh, the next talking point. Roy, back to yourself. So uh, we propose the, uh, the the conversation of level design. You want to you want a group of prefabs, not always in the correct folder structure, missing a way to group assets outside of folder structure. So do you want to give us a bit of an elaboration on that point, please? Yeah, let's uh, talk about that. So uh, very often in Unity, when you're making uh, a game um, or you're making a specific feature, uh, you tend to be using a small group of assets very often. And give an example where. Let's say uh, you're a level designer, you're making a forest, and uh, there's like maybe 10 or 15 prefabs that you're using all day. Uh, like uh, you might be placing trees, might be placing rocks, but also maybe uh, a type of enemy that only exists in the forest, like uh, an ant or a druid or something like that. Of um, course, uh, project, uh, you know, folder structure wise, the druid is going to be an enemy's folder, and the, the props are going to be in a completely different folder. And, there's any like uh, ambience uh, volumes that you need for like uh, woodland sprites that are floating around. Uh, those are going to be in a completely different folder as well. But logically, as far as you're concerned, they're all related. Uh, they should be together. So you want to be able to drag them into the scene very easily. Um, for some of those uh, things like decorative objects, you might want to paint them. You might want to be able to just paint uh, trees. So uh, a painter is a good solution for that. But enemies, you probably don't want to paint like 50 ants uh, in a row somewhere, right? Like you want to handpick and have placed them very specifically. Uh, so there's a bit of a gap, like uh, uh, how do you resolve that? How do you organize your assets uh, in a way that's tailored to the workflow of the thing you're making? Uh, so what I thought was a solution to that was uh, something like a, a customizable project view. Uh, I call that the asset palette, uh, but it's a special window and it uh, looks and functions exactly like a project window, um, but you make custom little folders in there. And you can drag any asset in there you want, and it's going to be grouped together in a way that's logical to you, separate from what the, the uh, structure is of the, the project uh, folders. Um, and uh, once you've organized them there, for instance, you can have all the forest props uh, in one place. Uh, so you can very easily say, oh, these are decorative uh, forest props, uh, these are the forest enemies, uh, stuff like that. Um, and uh, it works like the project field. So you can just grab them 
and just drag them into the scene view. And uh, you can really optimize your workflow that way. And, uh, keep uh, keep moving, moving in a, in a smoother way. Uh, but level designers uh, tend to love that feature. Um, I really like this well if I'm working on animation stuff. Like uh, I do a lot of character animation work. Uh, so I'm juggling like five different animated controllers at the same time and maybe five prefabs. Those aren't anywhere near each other in the project folder. But uh, I'm switching between them, uh, you know, like a hundred times a day. So uh, I have a little folder for myself uh, in a personal palette uh, uh, where, uh, you know, all those files are close together. Uh, so it's it's on GitHub. Uh, it's open source. It's called Asset Palette. And uh, I recommend it uh, for the gifts that go. Nice, nice. I, I, I like the idea of it, you know, because as we mentioned before, as the project is growing up, uh, all of the files are uh, missing for some reason. <laughs> uh, you, you want to search for it, and it's getting messy all the time, so it's a good way to keep eye on most important stuff that you have, and maybe uh, toggle it like that, so you can see it all the time in that assets palette. So yeah, it's, it's a cool feature. It sounds, by, by the way, a bit like the 2D uh, tile map thing. Uh, have you looked into that? Um, they also have some, a kind of a palette uh, tile map, I would say, uh, where you can just drag in your assets as well. Uh, the workflow is really cool, and I guess yours is um, just as cool. But yours was more uh, for a three D, right? It's just, it wasn't just for it's for general. It was uh, general, right? I yeah, think that it's, is uh, awesome. it's a great comparison to make. Uh, that's why I call it a palette. It's, uh, it's sort of like a palette that you have with all the things that you use, all the brushes, right? Um, but uh, the towel uh, editor you're talking about is uh, very much focused on 2D sprites, right? The cool yeah. thing about asset palette is it's for any asset. So yeah. if you have audio clips, if you have scriptable objects, I put a bunch of scriptable objects in the asset palette. Uh, uh, was, uh, I, when I'm working on the player character stuff, I'm tweaking animated controls, and I'm tweaking configs, and I'm tweaking prefabs. Uh, and uh, they're all kind of spread all over the place. Uh, uh, but I put them all in one folder so that when I'm in that workflow and I'm doing that, all those are in one place. You almost like an artist, you dip your brush in the ink and start uh, start using it, right? So, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, it's a good comparison to make. It's exactly like that, but more general. It's a really nice analogy to go with it as well, I think. Did, did you invent that analogy or did you steal it? Be honest. Me? Well, I, I would love <laughs> to uh, take credit that I thought of this ahead of time, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Jusef, you had a, 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 a quote about level design as well, um, something you wanted to discuss too. Um, so more towards um, either the fully procedural stuff like Gaia, uh, but the level designer loses the ability to balance the game and the flow of the game. So that's a problem that you've kind of had before, is it? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, there are different different ways you can approach level design, right? So uh, there are huge worlds. There are also small small worlds. So you have 2D games, you have 3D games, etc. But in whenever you scale uh, the game into a larger larger world, you you go more. You tend to go more and more towards the procedural uh, aspect of a, of the uh, of a level design. And uh, the problem is you lose control, right? As a as a level designer, of course, you can have different. Uh, different parts of the level that you focus on, uh, which most of the games do uh, for the most part. But me as a developer, me as a level designer, uh, personally, I like to have more control of it. So uh, there are some packages where you you mentioned Gaia. That is a really awesome tool for huge worlds. Uh, you just basically stamp stuff in on the... Uh, uh, on the world that you work with, and then you can just dive into uh, gameplay elements of that. But for... 
But the tool that I want to talk about most here is a tool called Dungeon Architect. That tool uh, just makes me drool every time I touch it um, because it is such a good, uh, a, it's a framework basically with working with uh, level design. Uh, you can completely procedurally build stuff. You can also have uh, what they call snaps. Uh, and that's what I use in, in my games. So the game that I'm working on right now is a 2D side-scroller uh, kind of a game. Uh, it's a fast-paced uh, Metroidvania. Um, and what we have as a, uh, as level designers is that we can, we can focus on different snaps, which are basically rooms, which the engine itself then st uh, stitches together. Uh, so the level designer has uh, control over the flow of the game, but also... Uh, in terms of small small parts of it. Um, so both the huge uh, world kind of aspect of it, but also down to the uh, to the where are my enemies are supposed to uh, spawn. Oh yeah, one aspect of level design is also uh, the uh, difficulty level, right? Of where you are right now. Uh, and having it completed procedural will uh, mess things up for when you uh, move things around in terms of... Uh, values. So what Dungeon Architect does is that you, it gives you the ability to say, hey, uh, linearly with from start to finish whoops, uh, from start to finish let us add more and more enemies to it let us add more and more features to it etc, uh, etc, et so that you can ramp up the difficulty uh, and yeah, that you just say that hey, please spawn enemies here when you feel fit, when it actually uh, makes sense uh, from a difficulty perspective so Dungeon Architect, a really cool uh, piece of software. I love it. Uh, please take a look at it. Um, I should probably get paid by that guy because <laughs> uh, it is such a cool, uh, such a really good tool. You have a referral code is going to be awesome. <laughs> make sure it's code. Please make sure. <laughs> yeah. Please sponsor it. <laughs> have you, got, you guys uh, used any that that sounds really cool that one by the way you guys use anything similar Roy I, I use something uh, very weird uh, I, I use Houdini uh, for my uh, thing. <laughs> so uh, I uh, watched this video about how Ubisoft approached Far Cry 5 uh, the procedural uh, world so they have a world that's so big that they uh, had to do a lot of level art procedurally like cool cliffs and stuff um, I saw that and I thought like I can do that so um, so I saw that they had an indie licensing for Vivi as well. So my thinking is, uh, if they use that to make uh, a game way bigger than you would normally be able to, why can't I use that to uh, make a game by myself that's way bigger than what one person would normally do? So I have some kind of weird uh, procedural setup where we have a, a rough block out of the level in a, a modeling package, pass it over to Vivi, and then it does a bunch of uh, node magic to turn it into cool cliffs, put grass on it and stuff, and then goes back into Unity. So uh, that's very weird. Uh, I'm trying to be an evangelist for Houdini. Uh, uh, thus far, it's not working well. Nobody gets excited when I talk about Houdini. But <laughs> one of these I things, am, actually. Uh, I love, okay. I'm one of those guys. Uh, Houdini is really awesome. Uh, I worked with it quite extensively in the past, uh, but I've gone more and more into the dungeon architecture part of it. Um, but yeah, Houdini is really awesome, both for modeling, but also for... Uh, uh, procedurally generating stuff, right? Like bridges or buildings, etc. Yeah, uh, Andreas in the chat uh, is a Houdini enthusiast, so we've got some good people uh, chilling. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Based, based on that, I, I don't have any, any big experience with uh, level design. I, I've been trying to use like uh, only Pro Builder for uh, prototyping, 
stuff like that, uh, test scenes, but uh, not anything specific more with the level design. So, yeah. What I'd love to do next, I had this idea like a few days ago, is for my next project, I would like to do the blockouts with Pro Builder and then export that to Udini. And I have Udini make it very pretty, spit out to production quality art. Uh, that sounds awesome to me. Then I don't have to switch from uh, from Unity to my modeling package and then send that to Udini, but I can stay in Unity, send it to Udini, get it back. So uh, yeah, I think Pro Builder is great. Uh, another bonus uh, shout out that people should be considering. Uh, yeah. uh, it's free these days, right? It's built into a Unity package. It's yeah, it's built yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so if you're uh, level designing uh, and you're rayboxing, you just need to be able to whip up some, uh, some unique shapes, uh, then uh, I highly recommend uh, giving Pro Builder a show. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, the, the, the demand is definitely there for Houdini as well, because, I mean, just from what I do, I speak to loads of designers and developers, and uh, part of what we do is, is asking people what kind of technologies they'd like to use, and Houdini is one that comes up mostly uh, you know, for people that haven't used it before, so... Um, yeah, you guys are advocates for it by the looks of it, so that's good. Um, you too, Andreas, not missing you out there. Shimu, uh, uh, let's uh, jump it over to yourself. Um, injecting is a pain. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so uh, before, uh, I have never used any, any dependency injection framework or packages, but uh, since I started with one, and that's the vContainer, that I can give a shout out. Uh, so what is vContainer and what is supposed to do within your project? Uh, Basically, it simplifies your dependency injection. Uh, the container make it easier to manage dependencies in your Unity project uh, instead of manually handling object creation and injection that can lead to human error, basically, when you do it inside Unity. Uh, other thing is that it can improve uh, uh, your code modularity. By using uh, dependency injection, basically, the container promotes a more modular and code structure uh components can be uh developed independently and then injected indeed so which simplifies the testing uh, and allows for better code usability basically uh other thing is also decoupling decoupling dependencies uh the container can help you uh with uh, decouple your components make it easier to swap out implementation and maintain your project uh, on the long run. Uh, this is essential for maintaining large and complex Unity projects. And uh, last but not least, uh, it can be the performance, since we almost always care about performance. Uh, Vcontainers is designed with performance in mind, basically. It uses various techniques to minimize runtime overhead, ensure that uh, your Unity application remains responsive and effective. Uh, pros about vContainer, I can give uh, that one thing is open source, and we developers love open source. Uh, so that means is you can customize and extend uh, the code by your specific needs and your project needs. Uh, other thing is that is built in mind for Unity. So make it seamless choices for game developers. And other thing can be scalability. It uh, it is suitable for both small and large projects, uh, ensuring that dependency management scales as your project growing. But uh, as well as I said, there are also cons. Uh, basically, one thing at the beginning 
I was facing an issue with uh, dependency injection. There's the learning curve. Basically, we developers will need to learn that. Uh, and that can take some time to understand how effective and how good is uh, doing injection. Uh, other thing is also pain, big pain. If you already have a project, but uh, it, it went big and you want to implement the container, uh, your project will need to make a lot of refactoring and clean up of your code if you want uh, to uh, to implement this package inside. Uh, I think, yeah, those are main stuff. Uh, I can give one some short uh, explanation, uh, example, I mean, or real-life example of how the container can be used. So basically, let's imagine that you are developing a complex multiplayer game inside Unity and uh, each player needs a reference to the server connection manager, let's say the player's inventory, the various UI components, elements, etc. Uh, the dependencies can quickly become tangent and as well hard to manage as the project uh, is growing, right? Uh, so the that's where the container is coming to a hand. Uh, it can help by centralizing the management of these dependencies and as well ensure that each player character receive the appropriate dependencies without cluttering your code uh, with explicit references, etc. So the thing is, this modularity and abstraction of your code is more maintainable and extensible as well uh, as you can continue to develop and enhance the game forward. So it's scalable. So in my uh, my there there are my recommendation for this package. Uh, it's really great. It's uh, good to learn dependency injection. So I, I would recommend all of it. Yeah. Before we move on there, guys, we've had a question in the chat here from uh, Mirko. Um, it's about vContainer. It's how does vContainer compare to Zenject? I, I guess that's directed at you, Shimmy. And uh, keep your questions coming in, guys. Exactly. Great, great, great question. To be honest, I never used Zenject before, so I cannot give you a correct answer. So since uh, this is my first time beginning to learn about dependency injections and I started with container, I take a look at Zenject, but as I saw, Zenject is deprecated uh, from Unity and it's no more used. So that's where it's the Vink container right now. So I'm sorry I cannot give you the the right answer. Like what is the uh, differences? Oh, I, can give, question. I can give a small small comment on that. Uh, according to the uh, to some performance uh, comparisons, the Zenject is slower than B Container. Uh, I haven't really looked into if it's actually true, if it's, if there's any bias because of that. But as far as uh, some numbers go. Uh, vcontainer was more performant than Zenject. I can uh, chime in and say that uh, I believe that vcontainer is specifically set up to work very well with uh, message uh, It's in uh, a different uh, pattern, a different structure of uh, decoupling systems from each other. It's apparently specifically tailored to work really well with that uh, pattern. So that's another bonus that you get if you uh, work with uh, vcontainer. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, Roy, do you have anything to add on injecting being a pain, your experiences on them? Uh, not more than I completely agree with all they said. Uh, if you're a software developer, please look into injection because that makes your life way easier. Not in, not only in terms of uh, development, but also in terms of testing, right? Because you can just inject a uh, another object, a test object or a mock or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that just makes your life way easier as a developer. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the tests are the, the one thing that uh, it's always good to know uh, because 
well, once you are creating your classes, your objects uh, with injection, you can always test them no matter what. So yeah, that's and as well, I forgot to mention that the V container is also providing a great uh, uh, way of interfaces as such. If you want to use the start function or if you want to use the update function, there uh, there are great uh, interfaces that you can use inside your classes that are not mono behaviors. So that's also uh, one thing to know. That is really great if if you want to use let's say you don't want you don't want your class to be mono behavior and uh, you want to use the update function so you don't create your own with while loop etc you don't want to spend your time there is itickable interface where you can implement inside the inside the class and use the tick function which the tick function is related to the update function of Unity so you have right now uh, update method inside non mono behavior class pure C sharp class which you can use for whatever reason you want, for timer or something else, depending on what's the purpose. Nice, nice. Uh, well, we're going to jump into some uh, some Q&A questions from the chat here. Um, guys, we've got three Unity experts here, so if you do have any questions, fire them in. Um, we've got a couple from Nick. So Nick, don't worry, I didn't miss it. Uh, we'll come back to this one. Um, how do you structure your high-level application flow? Do you prefer working with Visual FSM? Anyone want to pick that up? Um... I would say yes. <laughs> uh, I prefer working with it visually uh, when it comes to, to structuring the game. Um, so when it comes to, there are different kinds of things you can you can look into when it comes to the application flow or the uh, the, the game flow. Um, looking at it from a game level design as uh, aspect of it, yeah, I would say working with uh, visual. Uh, representations of stuff is really really helpful um yeah it also saves you way more time in the end because of uh you know what kind of ai you want to add to it you know exactly where your collision boxes are going to be um so i would definitely say if you have the ability to plan for it visually before then go ahead uh that's for me the most preferable way to work just to clarify for some of the viewers uh, fsm is a finite state machine talking about the state of the application. Nice. Uh, another question here from uh, Nick as well. Um, is there a clear Unity development standard? If you guys would change places, uh, would you know how each other's projects work? Oh, this is a great question. Yeah. Uh, depends from team to team. Uh, I've been around a couple of teams, and each team used Unity differently as well, used different syntax uh, for C-sharp, formatting syntax and naming convention. So it's very different, depends on how they have structured it and how they're working on. So mainly we, as a contractors or freelancers, uh, need to navigate on those uh, kind of uh, requests from their side, and we need to follow those standards. So sometimes it can be tricky, it can be hard, but yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's certain uh, features that are just parts of the engine uh, that you're gonna know how to use. Like every Unity project is gonna have prefabs, script objects, yeah. and you know uh, stuff like that. Uh, but you'd be surprised how differently teams are able to express uh, their project structure with those features. So there's always a bit of a, of a learning curve. But uh, uh, aside from some uh, you know, general Unity features, uh, some general best practices. Yeah, it's, it's a good question if there's a development standard. I would say no. Uh, people uh, do uh, these features very differently, like scriptable objects. 
some people uh, uh, don't use Crypto Objects at all. And they all the config stuff and the JSON files or something like that. Uh, some people make everything valuable uh, as Crypto Objects so you can replace it later. Uh, and then the, a lot of people are somewhere in between. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure I would say that as a development uh, standard. Uh, if, if you're curious about what a Unity project looks like, I would recommend uh, looking at some of the samples that uh, Unity uh, provides, uh, like the, they have like a platforming sample and stuff like that, a racing sample. Uh, but those will give you a good overview of like, okay, this is roughly how Unity expects you to uh, structure a project. And then, uh, you know, if you're really getting into Unity, be prepared that you can see some wild stuff, people doing some crazy, uh, uh, crazy things in the project. I want to take that also and turn it around and, and have it more as a general kind of thing. It's not really just Unity itself that has this uh, not really a, a standard uh, kind of way of approach. I mean, any kind of software development company has the same problem, right? So if you jump from, uh, let's say, King uh, to Avalanche to Klarna to any other, uh, what is it called, government agency, for instance, uh, all of them have different frameworks. All of them have different kinds of syntax, even though there is a standard for how you write C++ or C Sharp, uh, everyone has their own. Um, so I would say it's not really uh, specifically tied to Unity. Uh, that being said, I could to completely agree. You can see anything, any kind of solution everywhere. Whenever you go from one place to another, it takes a bit of time to just look into what their approach is. Um, most the customers that I've had that have looked into a good architecture with good, uh, like you, you were talking about, dependency injection, um, that makes it easier for anyone else that comes from the outside to say, hey, okay, this is a dependency injection kind of place. Cool. Then I know uh, my things, my uh, my approach is boosted by this kind of architecture. So yeah, but the general ask a question uh, answer to your question, no, I would say the same. Just a question from me, kind of adding on to the back of what some of you guys were touching on there on a studio to studio basis. Does often the size of the project in the studio can that alter or change the way that you use the engine? For example, if you're going into more of a, a startup, a newer environment, maybe you're coming into have a bit more reliance on you as the developer versus going into a larger project where you run a team of them. Um, what are the main differences that you'd outline from project to project there? Can uh, can look into that. Uh, so I've seen very extreme ends of the spectrum. Uh, I've done some freelance work on a, on a solo project. Uh, somebody uh, who had more of a, an art background uh, was making a game by himself and uh, needed some help with uh, shaders and stuff like that. Well, be prepared if you go into a project though, from somebody who's more of an artist, uh, and they are also programming. Like you're gonna see some uh, some peculiar patterns uh, here and there. Uh, so that's a, a very uh, distinct difference between uh, a bigger, more medium-sized studio that you might see. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's uh, a, a sister company of, uh, of the studio that I'm working with uh, right now, those freelance work at, and they uh, they prefer to use Unity more as a rendering engine. So they try to move uh, all the functionality, uh, um, all their logic uh, into pure C Sharp and uh, try to not have too much stuff in prefabs and uh, stuff like that. So there's a wildly different approach than uh, trying to put everything in one of ages and uh, sticking to the more uh, traditional Unity workflow, if you, if you will. Uh, so team size absolutely uh, impacts uh, on how you use the, uh, the engine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what about um, you guys, Shimmy or Joseph, if you yeah. notice any different trends in? That. Yeah, I have one bad experience. Basically, uh, I was doing also a freelance job where I was 
the only technical guy and uh, the CEO wanted to to get a couple of interns where I, I was responsible for them and I had to create a flow, uh, basically the Git flow, the documentation, uh, let's say general naming conventions, uh, how they need to structure the code, how they need to work inside Unity, etc. Uh, I'm saying I had bad experience because uh, I was never leading a team or anything like that. It was my first time experience, but I nailed it down with uh, with the flow of following some of the general things uh, that are mostly covered by uh, Microsoft for C Sharp and as well uh, nailing down with uh, Git flow and uh, Agile system, how you are going to structure the task, etc. with with the team, as well uh, creating a good flow when it comes to working inside Unity, because uh, when all developers are in pain, when we have conflicts uh, with scenes or conflicts with the prefabs, it's a nightmare that it's so hard to resolve. And yeah, that was the main problem where I had it with uh, the interns back then. And yeah, that, that was kind of my uh, worst experience. But other than that, uh, I have been working mainly with bigger teams, also with small teams. Uh, and most of the time, there is always uh, well-structured code, well-structured uh, Git flow, uh, and uh, inside Unity as well. So, yeah. But again, depends. Somebody use, as uh, as, Ro- uh, as Roy mentioned, like uh, somebody use prefabs, somebody use scriptable objects. Uh, so somebody... Uh, I use different kind of uh, styling uh, thing inside Unity. It depends on what packages did they use. So yeah, it all depends. Yeah, I totally agree with everything here said as well. Um, my experience with it, uh, team size matters, but also what your background is as well. I've been working with people that are that were app developers and they have been creating apps uh, not with Unity before, but they transitioned into Unity and they wanted to do some stuff where, where they could just uh, port it to all the uh, platforms that Unity provided them with. The problem was they don't really they didn't really know about how often the tick fun- the update function was uh, uh, doing stuff. Uh, they didn't really know about the differences between uh, scriptable objects and prefabs and mono. So so the, the, the way that they were approaching this was from a pure web slash app development uh, approach. And that gave them a lot of uh, problems in terms of performance because they didn't know, basically. Uh, one particular instance that I remember was they had the they had a, an update uh, function that they were connected to a server. Uh, so every tick, every update tick, they actually downloaded data from it, and it was like it was way oh, way that... underperforming. Yeah, that that was that hurt me when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the easiest easiest boost ever. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. So I, yeah, so my point is uh, it does. It depends on the size of the team, but also the the background that the team has. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, so before we end the podcast, I'd like to say a big thank you to our guests today for sharing their thoughts and insights into today's conversation. So a big thank you to Yusef, Shime, and Roy for lending us their time and their insights into the discussion. Now, if you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Sol Bate. You can find me on LinkedIn or email me at sol.bate at evolution-nordics.com. 
or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash SE. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you to you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.